sorry, Roy. That's, that's kind. That's really, that's really kind. Oh, just, it just feels like I'm in this nightmare where people keep ringing the doorbell to bring me even more bad news. Did Carla tell you that he's run off with all the money from the factory? Oh, dear. Yeah. Maybe she needs a bad news quiche and all. I'll put Kettle on. Take a pew. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. The talk of the street. Talk of the street. Welcome to episode 275 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Cornish and Street Catcher podcast that is absolutely ready to deliver this week's intro, but we'd ask that you give me a quick minute while I bend down and tie my shoelaces. I'm Gavin. I'm waiting for Stephen to kill you. Oh, there we go. <laughs> well, you know how many times you trip up with a shoelace that's undone. Yeah. Happens practically every day, right? So when you're running away from someone... Who's going to murder you. Who you can probably handle in a fight. Probably. It's very safety first. That's yes. all I'm saying. Just safety right. first. Yes. I'm just I'm just glad that at least one person fought Stephen to the best of their abilities this week and did not do anything. Are we stupid. diving straight in here? No. No. Really? Just just a wee a wee taste. A wee taste of things to come. An amuse bush. Yes. How are you this week? I am all right, happily working on the physical media auction. This can boring you. Auction talk. <laughs> talk. I mean, I... About auctions. <laughs> this week I was working predominantly on sorting some vinyl records, which are always, always good. For, for the auction and stuff. I threatened to buy you a, a U2 October vinyl for your birthday, or for your Christmas. And you threatened to burn it. So yeah. that was fun. And the children's auction begins to end tomorrow at 10 a.m. So I'm quite excited about that. Um, it's done really, really, really well. Like we have this Samantha doll from Bewitched like from the 1950s still in her in her original box and she's like up to $420 no which is more than i expected to her to to fetch so that's quite exciting your your um your harry potter book is uh in the 50s now i believe so mm. that's exciting hopefully it'll it'll nudge a little further to help pay for the roof yeah pay for a garage roof yes which needs fixing. Who knew that they cost five grand? <laughs> well, maybe they cost five grand when the roofer's foot goes through it. Yeah, I feel quite bad about that. <laughs> he said it's only ever happened to him two times. I'm like, Really? Did, did you start roofing this week? Like, <laughs> no, he's been doing it for 20 years. Really? He doesn't look old his, enough his to. His foot has only gone through a roof twice. Yes. And once was. Our garage. Our garage. 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 Get it. Mm -hmm. I don't know what people do for unexpected 
expenses like that. Right. Because I read something, this is exceptionally boring, but I read something that like 40% of American households who earn more than $140,000 a year live paycheck to paycheck. So don't save anything. So how how do people pay for things like this? Credit cards. And that just gets them even more in debt. <sighs> it's scary business. It is scary business. At least neither one of us have, have COVID at the time or, you know. I was saving more money during COVID. I would have living on the street. Yeah, but not when you had COVID. Because you couldn't work when you had COVID. Still of course, get paid. You, you still get paid. I do not. But that's okay. I love my job. Yeah. <laughs> it balances out. Either you get the good benefits or you have a job you love. You never get both. You know, it could it could have been so much worse. There's a lot of people that got a lot more damage than, than this when that tornado hit last month. Yeah, so. their insurance is probably paying for it. Right. That's what we should have done. We should have waited for a tree to fall on it and then get it fixed. Well, or we could have called because at least one shingle came off during that You're not storm. going to phone an insurance company for one shingle, though. Well, what is our, um, what is our but, thing? Uh, let's not. <laughs> it's more Let, than five not, grand. Let's not talk about deductibles. Yeah, our deductible is higher than five grand, no, isn't it? No, of course it? it isn't. What is it? Like a grand. Really? Mm-hmm. I don't think so. It is, because that's what we paid the last time. Oh, right. Yeah. When you were in Seattle and I had to deal with all of the storm damage. Mm, apart from paying for anything. By myself. Apart from paying for anything. You deserved it because you were having fun while we were smelly. Oh, I feel this is <laughs> this is going further awry than usual. <laughs> How are you this week? Besides being five grand lighter. That. That's kind of consumed my entire my entire week. Really puts a dampener on your week when you get an expense like that that you're not not really expecting, right? Or, or maybe we're expecting but could do without. Anyway, shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that unexpected Corey news. Seems like we won't be enjoying any goss from Beth about this week's episodes. Poor Lisa George will be up for a while as she's down with the COVID. Oh, still going about. Yeah, apparently quite a few people on the cast and crew caught COVID like right before Super Soap Week, which is probably why we don't really see very many people, very many factory people right? this week when we would expect to see lots and lots of factory people considering all the stuff that has happened. And I was desperate to know what was going on with Stu. No, you weren't. Of course I wasn't. So we wish her a speedy recovery. She's probably already recovered by now. But a COVID, it's just a cold now, isn't it? No, isn't it's it? not. What is it? It's a st- flu. It's still COVID. Yeah, but it's it's not as impactful as it as it once was. My boss got didn't 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 stop working. Yeah, well, shortly after lockdown, Steli got it and she was fine. You should still stay home if you're sick. Oh, you did? Yeah. And, you know, it's still killing people. So it continues to not just be the flu. But most people, I think, I think more people are getting over it now than, than they were. Otherwise, you'd think it would be in the news and stuff. Well, 
I'm sure the news has other things to talk about. And also, we're all pretending that the pandemic is over when it's not really not. Okay, so we shouldn't so, really be talking about it. No. Okay, let's, let's pretend that that didn't happen. Well, Barbara Knox has had a lovely 90th birthday in September, but don't expect her to rest on her laurels just yet. She says she has no plans to retire. The program at 90. Barbara at 90 mm-hmm. followed on immediately from Coronation Street tonight right. on ITV. So I haven't seen it yet, but I have seen a couple of clips of it. And it's lovely. Where she's visited by Norris. Yeah, Malcolm Hebden and Thelma Barlow, who played Mavis. Uh huh. Which was just lovely. Delightful and lovely. Yeah. Because everybody misses Mavis. You don't, because you don't know who she is. No. But if you did, you would have missed her. Aw. Mavis is a nice name. Yeah, as is Thelma. And Louise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, congratulations to, to Barbara Knox. What a, what a legacy. And they, they showed you some clips from our first uh-huh. ever episode in 62, I think, when right. she was still Rita Littlewood and an exotic dancer. <laughs> but not that exotic. Well, m- maybe, maybe not. Not on the screen anyway. Not on screen. <laughs> but it's like, yeah, she's uh that's like seven decades that she's been working. That's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Good for her. Yes. And so long as they keep on giving her little bits and pieces to do, she had quite a bit to do this yes, week. Yes, she did. Which was nice. Which was nice to see, yeah. So all very good. Congratulations to her. I'm I'm not sure that I approve of everything Rita did this week, but you know, it's fine. Right. And it's not Barbara Knox's fault. No, no. We never blame the actors. There are plenty of other people to blame on the show. <laughs> and finally, Sally Denever swapped the cobbles for the couches this week as she joined the Loose Women as a guest panelist on Menopause. Yep. And apparently she did quite a good job. There was there was a lot of praise for it. It's difficult to get Loose Women over here. so Again, it's an ITV... Plus VPN. Right. But that ITVX player is just the Garbage. absolute worst dog dirt streaming service. I mean, BritBox has its problems, but it could be so much worse. BritBox rarely cuts out mid-show. Well, that's I true. I mean, we spend a lot of time waiting for some episodes to drop in BritBox right. every now and again, but ITVX is almost unwatchable. Yeah. The STV player is much better. Well, that's good. But you can't, you don't get as much to choose from. Yeah. On that, so. Sally's daughter, uh, Phoebe, her new movie on Netflix just dropped this week as well, and, and I'm hearing very good things about it. It's called yeah. Fair Play. So, what a talented family. Yes, absolutely. And that's Corey News. That's Corey News. And would you believe that that leads us quite nicely into our feedback section called Everyone's a Critic? Now, do you remember last week, Helen, when you wondered if new friend of the podcast, Wendy, if her last name was <laughs> Darling, and then you also wondered if she knew how I felt about you yeah, too? I didn't realize it was this particular Wendy, so I laughed quite a bit when she <laughs> remarked about it, because she has been, you know, she, she has been a correspondent in the past. She's but, been a, a friend of the podcast before she was a friend of the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, she wrote in to say, heard the show, I was named after Wendy Darling, and I am also well aware of Gavin's love for you too. <laughs> she says Vegas, second mentioned this week. says Vegas was cool, made a win listening to the podcast on my earbuds, isn't that nice? Yeah. Don't know what I'm doing, I'm not sure how it happened. Was it the luck of the Irish, or the luck of the podcast? 
sending love to us both. So that's lovely from Wendy. Thank you Absolutely. for that. And congratulations on your win. And I'm glad that you enjoyed Vegas. They're thinking about building one of those sphere things. They already have. In that London. Oh, no. Mm. Where would they put it in London? There's no... They, they built it in Las Vegas because there's lots of room in Las Vegas. Because that's the only thing out there in the middle of the desert. Mm-hmm. Where on earth would they put one in London? London! I'm kind of concerned about this. You, you touch on a, an important point, yes. or if, at least a point, of <laughs> in 1992, 93, when uh-huh. Wayne's World came out and everyone started saying not, uh-huh. and how they're still doing it. Are they? And how it stopped being funny maybe in 95. When was the last time you heard somebody say that? All the time. Really? Yeah. I haven't heard it. Weekly. I, I, I hear it weekly. I haven't heard it in decades. I hear it weekly. You hang out with the wrong people. And I'm concerned that if this has dug in as far as it looks like it has, every time somebody hears London, at least in their mind, they're going to be thinking, London? London? And if they say it, this is very quickly going to become one of those things. Oh, okay. So this has nothing to do with the sphere. One of those. Say the line, Bart. One of those things. Right. Yes. Like how you would, how you harass me every time I try to say the 1980s correctly. Yeah, but that hasn't really taken on, has it? No, but it is annoying. <laughs> well, I think it's funny. All right. See, I thought you were concerned for London because there's no room for a sphere. Oh, I couldn't care less about London. <laughs> it's an awful place. I mean, that Ferris wheel. The Millennium Eye. Right. Or the London Eye. Yeah. That's annoying enough. This big neon Ferris wheel with no other carnival anything around it just there by the river Mm -hmm. when you have all these other really grand and old things in london which are lovely on their own without being shown in a blue neon light and now they're going to build a sphere there i don't think i'd like to live next door to that sphere no or that ferris wheel Anyway, feedback is always welcome, would you believe. Thank you for your missive, Wendy. We appreciate it. Yes, we do. You can send us your thoughts and I will probably read them out on the podcast. Get us at thetalkofthestreetgmail.com and our DMs are, I think, open at Corey Podcast. I'm surprised no one's ever sent anything rude in because you keep saying, if you send something to us, I'll read it out. Mm. I'm surprised. I do say probably. (laughs) So there's at least some caveat there. You know, like like Will Ferrell in Anchorman, where he's just reading out whatever is on the screen. Fuck you, San Diego. <laughs> oh, talking of which, I watched the new Frasier this week. Uh-huh. First episode's terrible. Mm-hmm. Second episode, that's all right. Ah, he's back in Boston. Yeah, but never goes to Cheers. Which is weird, right? That's weird. That's weird. Why didn't they go to Cheers? Right. Why did they Why did they put it in Boston if they weren't going to have all the rest of the Cheers guys there? The Talk of the Street is and will always be free on your podcast provider <laughs> and on the YouTubes. But if you think our show is worth anything more than the time it takes to listen to it, and if you want to show your appreciation, you can buy us next week's coffees by going to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the Talk of the Street. You can also sign up to be a friend of the podcast through the same link where for as little as two bucks a month. You can get a mention in the closing credits of each and every episode. So that's quite nice, isn't it, Helen? Yes. Did anybody buy our coffees this week? Oh, no. Oh, okay. Otherwise, I would have mentioned it. 
Remember, you can always support the podcast for free and get us in front of new listeners by liking, subscribing, rating and reviewing wherever you get your podcasts. And now, this. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Welcome to Lash It Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about geriatric gigolo. Is is this Stephen or is this Ken? It's Ken. That's right. This was Ken, of course, described by Tracy for fraternising with Wendy Flamin Crozier. I was Gavin, and I couldn't understand what you were. It sounded like you were pulling a ski. You had a cold or something, so maybe you were saying you were pulling a sicky. I don't know. You blamed it on the woman that you were sitting next to at Tootsie, because that was a year ago. Yes. So I was on cough editing duty quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And we had a kid with a fractured pelvis. Yes, we did. I learned that a recently deceased Angela Langsbury moved her family to Ireland to get away from Charles Manson. So that happened. Yes. Um, I kind of looked like Angela Lansbury today because I was wearing my cape and my, my houndstooth hat. So I looked like Angela Lansbury from Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Yeah. Aaron camps out at Summer's house and ignores his phone until the police arrive with some troubling news. Max is furious when he's denied a place at Wedding High and learns that his Iraqi refugee friend has had more success. Tracy is so outraged when she learns that Ken has been seen Wendy that she cooks them a stuffed marrow. Yikes. Tim and Aggie's friendship grows stronger while Sally's disco aerobics has had an unexpected warm-down session. As the anniversary of Natasha's death approaches, Nick and Leanne receive a visitor request from Harvey Gaskell. Gemma is convinced that Fern is a figment of Benny's imagination. And Remember Yasmin, when Fern was a thing? Yeah. Was that a year ago? It God. was. Yasmin encourages Bridget to visit her dad while Alia and Dee get closer to finding out who really killed Charlie. Eliza has given up the recorder. Mrs Crawshaw does home visits. And Paul wins crisps. Our moment of the week was Wendy standing up to Tracy about the stuffed marrow and our boring moment of the week was Ken yelling at Jacob about changing the radio station on his stereo. Oh my God. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. That was hilarious. Yeah. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back with this week's recap. And we're back. Woohoo. Shall we dive in, yes, my dear? Yes, please. And that brings us on to this week's hard debate. <gasps> Already? Like you said, a little amused bush at the start of the week when I asked, as we prepare for this week's Corey, who do we think Stephen is dragging down to hell with him? Tim, Peter, somebody else, or nobody? <laughs> and this was the tightest voting I think we've ever had in a hard debate. Interesting. Peter was 22%. Somebody else was 23.3%. Oh, really? Nobody was 25.2%. And Tim was 29.6%. So Tim was the winner, but just marginally. It couldn't have been closer to 25% splits there. That's very interesting. Very interesting. Now, this week was essentially one story. Yes. Very difficult to break up into component stories. So I'm just going to go through it. I've I've tried to rearrange bits that go with each other a little bit better. Just so that it flows a little bit better. So, Monday's episode, let's call that Tim's Mum About the House. (laughs) 
so we start with a wee flash forward of Swain chatting to Carla, Michael and Sarah. And Sarah in particular is a bit dishevelled. Now you just said before we started recording how much you didn't like the flash forwards. I, I did not. I think I think it's a hokey thing to do. I think it detracts from the story. I don't think it gives anything to the story, especially when they use like that, that soft focus and the bright lights like on the person and everything. It's like, just get to the story. Just, just let's, let's just, let's just watch what happens as it happens. It, it just, it, it did not add anything to the story for me. And it just felt like, Ooh, you know what we haven't used in a while? Soft focus lenses. Well, I don't think I interrupted anything because it happened right at the start. Right. When you want to get to the story. And I don't think it lasted that long that it, that it spoiled anything for me. I would normally agree. I don't like the fancy techniques. I don't mm-hmm. like the soft focuses. I don't like the strange uh, colour palettes that they use. Right. I don't like the weird sound effects that right. they have. This I actually quite enjoyed. Why? I, I enjoyed more than than I normally do because I, I simply don't enjoy it. Right. I think I liked it because it was a nice little setup for the story that we were going to. But we it doesn't to see. set anything but, up. But but it does because we see the state of Sarah and it gets us to ask questions about what happens to get her into that state. And we see Carla and she Carla's answering questions that makes us wonder what and what's Michael doing there. You know, it just it just set a little a couple of little question marks flying through my head in the opening thirty seconds that we wouldn't normally have had. And I think for me it worked it worked fine. I would have missed it if it wasn't there. Probably not, but it wasn't a bad uh, little starter for me. Yeah, see for me it's like, oh well, something awful is going to happen because look at Sarah's face. She's you know, it just seemed like she'd been crying and stuff because we don't see we just see the front of her face. We mm-hmm. don't see any of the back of her head or anything. And these three people are there because these are the three people that he works the most with in the factory. So, of course, they're going to be interrogated about something that has to do with the person that they work with. And it just it, it felt like it felt unnecessary. It didn't open up any more questions for me. It just made me impatient to get on with it, yeah, especially I- as it happens every single day. I think with Sarah in particular, it made me wonder, is she now a potential suspect, if you like, for killing Stephen? Because at this point, I'm imagining Stephen's going to die. And I don't think I'd considered that as a possibility before. So for the rest of the week, I'm kind of paying close attention to what Sarah's going to be doing and, and where she's... Because at the start of the week, she doesn't seem to be anywhere near the trajectory of this, but she's obviously going to be part of it as it moves forward. So, right, I mean, so I it's kind work, of spoilery. Not really, because it doesn't really give all that much away. Right, but, it, but just, it's it, like, was, oh. it was enticing, I felt. And I feel like flash-forwards are be- becoming par for the course on Super Soap Week, not just for Coronation Street, but for... Emmerdale as well. Well, they're dumb, and, and I don't like them. And EastEnders is doing a flash forward to Christmas that it did months ago. So, which is dumb. Just well, give me a story. Well, just not for you. Let's say that. No. 
At Reuters, Jenny is fixing Stephen's tie ahead of his day at work. She chats about their future in Thailand and he claims to be daydreaming about fishing. Thailand. He's fishing, all right. Yeah, you and see what ties. they did? You see what they did? <laughs> He's fishing, all right, for information of people in the area who are anglers. Like Tim, perhaps? No chances, Jenny. You wouldn't catch Tim dead down that canal. Ha ha! <laughs> but she's also like, oh, fishing is hard work. Tim would never do that. Fishing is not hard work. The hardest thing is sticking the worm on the hook. And go. then you just sit there. Far too much for hard work hours. for Tim. He'd be sitting there for hours drinking beer and listening to the radio. And that's it. And hanging out with his pals. That's exactly what I can see Tim doing. Right, number four. Tim is actually doing some hard work, looking for a tagine to cook Sally a special anniversary tea. He's got her a card with a banana on it. Happy bananaversary. And Sally is already disappointed. Right, yeah, because she's not me. If you got me a happy bananaversary card, I, I would be laughing about it months after our anniversary. Oh, well. Because that's, keep, keep your fingers crossed for July then. bananas are hilarious. Bananas are quite, they're the funniest fruit. They are. Later, Tim is already struggling with the ingredients in the recipe. Kevin comes in with great news. He has box tickets for the county game tonight with a special guest of Tommy O. Tim's mum reminds him that he has his anniversary dinner to make, so Tim has to decline. But Kev leaves a ticket with him just in case he changes his mind. Kev knows Tim. Oh, we're setting things up here, aren't we? Not very subtly, are we? I think we're going to disagree quite a bit tonight, aren't we? (laughs) At Carla's, Peter is shocked that Carla will be taking advice of the police and taking a step back away from Stephen, or at least trying to incriminate him. Peter says no one told him to take a step back, and he offers to rearrange Stephen's teeth until he gets a confession out of him. He's further shocked to learn that Carla intends to go to work, but she promises to be careful. In the roles, Jenny's chatting loudly about the move, but Stephen asks her to keep it under her hat until he gets a chance to tie up some loose ends before handing his resignation into Carla. Brian and Mary approach. Brian and Mary approach looking for him, looking for help to clean the canal ahead of the council dredging it. And this makes Stephen shit himself and he puts his name down on Brian's clipboard to get more information. It seems that the bit Stephen is particularly interested in won't be hit until next August though, at Mortimer Lock. Yes. Very careful to say Mortimer Lock there. Yes. In the factory, Stephen has jammed the printer. Oh, for fuck's sake. So Michael has to help. Sarah is also there when Carla comes in to apologise for her outburst last week. She no longer thinks Stephen was responsible for getting her hair tripping balls and she now suspects Rufus was behind it. Stephen is suspicious and Michael and Sarah are confused why Rufus would do such a thing. Stephen, though, doesn't hold a grudge. Meanwhile, Michael has fixed the printer and hands Stephen a piece of paper and when they're all gone, Carla goes through the bin and find something of interest. Yeah. Why Michael didn't see it and say, hey, what's this about Thailand? Right there. Well, Michael is stupid. (laughs) So So very, very stupid. And this is really the least of his bothers this week. This is, this is true. Why, why is he suddenly stupid? He's never been stupid before, has he? I mean, he's, he, he, he created whippers, nipper snappers. So, He's creative and he's smart, but this week he's dumb. He does have a blind side when it comes to Stephen. He's terrified of Stephen. Stephen's his mentor. Mm-hmm. He idolizes the guy. And he is also terrified of him. Hmm. So 
yeah, maybe that answers that question, but he yeah. definitely lets a few things slip that perhaps he shouldn't have. At Streetcars, Peter and Tim are chatting when Brian comes along, still looking for more volunteers for that canal thing. He only has Stephen's name so far. Peter basically calls Stephen a prick, which gets Tim interested. But why has Peter got such a low opinion of Stephen? But Peter dismisses it, and he wanders away. Swain. <laughs> so... Next we see Carla appearing at the cop shop chatting to DS Swain. Her scrap piece of paper that she pulled out the bin was a one-way ticket for Stephen to Thailand. Swain still thinks this isn't enough, he could just be going on holiday and she urges Carla to trust her, she knows what she's doing but she agrees that Stephen is a flight risk so it's important not to let him know that you're on to him. Right. Tim heads over to Kev and hands back his ticket. He can't go, he needs to check something out. So he's kind of abandoned the dinner at this point and mm. he jumps in his cab and drives off, which seems to be seen and maybe heard by a passing Stephen. Yeah, there's there's a lot of hearing things through glass this week. That mm. So Tim ends up at the canal again with a big stick and he starts poking around until he hits the side of the roof box and it opens just a smidge. No, no, he has to go and get a spear that has been left. <laughs> In a junk pile. The stick isn't good enough. He needs something with a sharp metal point to get it open. See, I was happy to skip over that bit. <laughs> That's the best bit. It was like a harpoon. It was something about <laughs> Jaws. So, okay, okay, so he uses this big harpoon uh, to stab at the, um, the roof box. And it opens up a smidge. And it seems that we see a skeleton hand inside yes, it. Oh, it's a spooky skeleton. Which, you know, and I know why it's it's just a skeleton hand. Skeleton. It is. It is. I used to have a crush on a guy named Jack Skellington, so I can't say that that way. And yes, his name really was Jack Skellington. There in, in real life, in real life, especially since it's been protected from fish by being in the case there'd still be flesh on that hand there'd be about yeah flesh in the bones yeah right but they can't show a decompose they can't show (laughs) gore no on this on this television on this soap opera i wish they could unfortunately but they can't they can just barely show blood every once in a while which becomes a thing (laughs) later on we'll get to that um so they so they can only really show this floaty skeleton hand waving in the water. Tim, come to me, Tim. Which is just kind of hilarious. But this is not this is not the last time that poor Teddy's body is hilarious this week. And we'll get to that later. Yeah. One would say maybe better in death than he was in life. <laughs> Tim panics, runs back to his cab, and as he fumbles in his pocket for his phone, he doesn't notice that his shiny new wallet has dropped out. Right. And that was a kind of blinking you miss it yeah. detail. Yeah. And credit for them not having a little zoom shot of, right. or and, close up. And the, spooky uh, music while right. we zoom in on the wallet. Right. Tim tries to call the police, but he's having bother with his phone, but he manages to give out his location and say that he's found a body. Right. And he, but then behind him, Stephen gets into his cab, which I think is in the middle of nowhere. 
Right. And says, fancy meeting you here. Right. It's hilarious. Well, it's by that part of the canal. So Stephen has overheard him say he needs to check something out. He knows now that Tim was the person hiding behind the bush. So he safely assumes right. that that's what he needs to check out. Yep. He's just he's just very lucky that that was indeed what he was trying to check out instead of banana onions or something. Banana shallots. Banana What are banana shallots? Do they exist? I, th- I think the clues in the name. <laughs> banana peppers are a thing. I can't imagine what a Is it a yellow shallot? I have no idea what they're talking about. <laughs> so I'm trying And we're foodies. We should know about these things. I'm deflecting by saying the clues in the name, but really I have absolutely no idea. This is true. Jenny goes to Rita to tell her the Thailand stuff and asks Rita to keep her mouth shut this time. Keep your fucking mouth shut. Yeah. Rita promises nothing. (laughs) Jenny is wondering about what jabs she needs for Thailand when Daniel comes in. He seems intrigued by the back end of this conversation. Jenny says that she's doing boxer size. That's what they were talking about. Right, about jabbing. Okay says Daniel. Right. Why, why she doesn't say, oh, I need to update my, my COVID vaccine, which would have been a lot more believable. Sarah's in Nina's roles chatting to Roy about Carla's backtracking. Something just doesn't make sense there that Carla would switch like that. Roy's surprised too that Carla has let go, but has no reason to doubt Stephen's integrity. Is, is it normal to see Roy sitting chatting with Sarah? No, about, it's very, very It was unusual. weird, wasn't yeah, it? Very it was weird. Mm-hmm. It was weird. There's a lot of Roy this week, and now we know why. Because nobody else is available because they all had COVID. <laughs> They're all sick, yeah. <laughs> Meanwhile, back in the street, <laughs> Roy's working at the factory somehow, <laughs> sewing knickers together. <laughs> Meanwhile, back on the street, Carla sees Jenny get home, and despite what Swain said, she just can't let Jenny go without saying something to her. Right, because she's family. Yeah, so they go upstairs and Carla carefully tries to talk to Jenny about Stephen and what he's been up to. Jenny is dismissive, knowing that the two of them don't get along, and Carla says this is for her sake. Meanwhile, back home, Sally and Tim's mum wonder where Tim is. Tim's mum thinks he's ingredient shopping. Sally thinks he's going to the fucking football after all, and she tries to call him, which makes Tim's phone play the birdie song again as he's driving Stephen. Interesting tune, says Stephen. Everyone has it these days, says Tim. (laughs) Everyone has this song, this holiday song from the 1980s. The chicken dance. The birdie song. The birdie dance. The chicken dance is what we call it here it in was, the home of polka. So I remember this coming out when I was on holiday in Mallorca, mm-hmm. where it was called The Birdie Dance by The Tweets, was the name of the band that, that did it, apparently. And it was just. It was all that people were doing. And a beep, 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 and a wing, 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 and a tail, tail, tail. So we did. It's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And then shake your bum. Well, what does that have to do with birds? Because that's what you were doing. A little bit of this and then a little bit of that. Yeah, but you have to say, and a beak, 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 and a wing, 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 and a tail, tail, tail. And then you clap. And a beak, beak, I know how it goes. I just demonstrated that. Tail, tail, tail. Your lyrics are terrible. <laughs> fucking the original, fucking Americans, really. Ruining everything. They're the original. How do you ruin the birdie dance? It's the chicken dance. Jeez. Oh, anyway. And it's a polka. Yeah, it is. Well, at least we agree on something. Yeah. So Polish chickens? Yes. Well. There's a lot of Polish people here in the Midwest. 
Who did the original? The original name of the song was Der Ententanz, the Duck Dance, composed by Swiss accordionist Werner, Werner Thomas, Thomas in the 50s. Yeah. More than 140 versions of the song have been recorded, selling 40 million copies worldwide. 40 million copies? Bloody hell. Well, there are a lot of wedding DJs out there. But nobody wants to hear that anymore. Everybody... It peaked at number two in the UK charts in 1981. That's hilarious. Making the birdie song the most popular version. And in 2000, it was voted the most annoying song of all time. <laughs> I can believe that. So yeah, so Stephen... So Tim says that everyone's got it these days. And I would have thought that it would have been funnier if when everyone else's phone started to ring for the rest of the week, if they also had the same tune. That right. would have been quite funny. Yeah, but this is not a funny week. No. Although there was quite a lot of funny things happening. There was. Stephen claims to have been at the canal for Brian's project, and Tim wonders why Stephen is in a suit then. Stephen directs Tim to go the back roads and removes his tie, suspecting that Tim is driving to the police station, and then from the back seat starts throttling Tim with the tie. As he's driving. So Tim, smart. Tim thinks fast, pushes his seat back to trap Stephen, slams on the anchors, and does a runner. But then Tim, as he's running still down the side of the canal at this point, or through a bit of waste ground, right. comes to a dead end covered in barbed wire, and then, for some weird reason, stops to tie his shoe. Right. Which allows Stephen to approach from behind and twat Tim with an iron bar, and Tim is out for the count. He's not dead, though. So Stephen ties his hands behind his back with his belt and tosses the bar away rather than, I guess, bludgeoning Tim to death. We can't see that clearly. Right, yeah. Well, we've nearly seen worse than that, but I think he's just trying to get rid of the evidence by throwing it over the wall. Yeah, Tim's more evidence than the than the bar, though. Right, but he's going to do something with Tim. It's fine. So Stephen must go and get Tim's cab or something I don't know, because the next we see the cab's kind of there and Tim's sort of hog-tied and he's barely conscious on the towpath. Stephen checks the boot of the taxi, maybe thinking of lobbing Tim into it, but then Tim starts to struggle, so Stephen knees on him and appears to suffocate Tim because when next we see Tim, he looks proper out for it. Yes. Then Tim's phone rings again, which was just... Hilarious. <laughs> just hilarious. So at this moment, we think Tim might have died. And the first thing we hear after Tim's death is the birdie dance. I still don't understand why Muhammad didn't no, get rid uh, of that when he got rid of all of the Turkish. Right. It makes no sense, except the, for plot. The turkey dance? Then Stephen stamps on the birdie song until it dies. With no answer again from Tim, or no reply from Tim, Sally is now sure that he went to the football, and Tim's mum happens to agree, especially now that the ticket has disappeared. Back at Jenny's house, she's refusing to believe anything that Carla's telling her, so Carla wonders why Stephen is so keen to go to Thailand. Whose idea would that possibly have been Stephen's by any chance? Jenny explains that two of them are secretly planning to start a new life. Carla then wonders why it's a secret, because he knew it would be suspicious, especially after the LSD accusation. And but the finding of Leo's body. LSD accusation is news to Jenny. And Carla begs her not to leave and to stall Stephen and she can't tell him that they've had this conversation or she might be in danger. Jenny's heard enough and she asks for Carla to leave. But uh, Carla has planted a seed. Yes, obviously. enough of a seed, yeah. yeah. Sally calls Abby and learns that Kev's gone to the game and as far as she knows, he went with Tim. 
Tim's mum is the sickest Sally about this and insists that they go out to get fucking wrecked. So at the bistro, it's Ken's birthday. And Audrey has got him a model train. Then in comes Roy, and he's got Ken a model train too. Well, Audrey has the carriage, and Roy has the locomotive. Ken is confused, but pretends to be grateful when Daniel prompts him to be so. Right. Audrey and Rita wonder why Ken looks so put out at the presents that he's got. And then Sally arrives and apologises for not having a present. Good, says Ken. Yes. Oh, you ungrateful shit. <laughs> so Roy and Peter chat about Carla's hair being high as fuck that time and Roy regrets not believing her. Roy asks if she's sure it was Rufus, but Peter doesn't answer and so Roy assumes that she still thinks it was Stephen after all. Mm-hmm. Peter explains about the advice from Swain until they have proof. And then during Ken's birthday tea, it transpires that everyone thought Ken had a boner for trains because Daniel saw a model railway magazine at number one. Once! Yes, that one time. That one time, but no other trains or anything in the house. Ken explains that it was misdelivered and was really meant for the guy at number one Balaclava Terrace. Oh, Ken. Everyone laughs. And Daniel, he's never heard anything as funny as this in his entire life. And Roy offers to buy all of the trains, but Ken says, no, he's going to keep them after all. (laughs) Well, thank goodness for that. For the humor factor, apparently. Because this is so funny. Isn't this funny, Gav? No. (laughs) No, it's not funny in the slightest. What are they doing here? I mean, this is filling some time up, right? Yeah, and giving us some non-drama time. Yeah. Meanwhile, at the cop shop, DC Tinker has news for Swain. He talks about the call that came in about a body in the canal. Swain isn't sure it isn't a hoax, but then seems to have a think about it. It's dark now, wherever Stephen parks. It looks like he's in a wooded area somewhere. He takes a petrol can out of the boot and douses Tim's car with it. And he's about to torch it because he's got a Zippo lighter on him. Yes. Why Stephen got a Zippo lighter? Who doesn't? Everyone has a Zippo lighter when That's they're right. about to set fire to things. Right. And they never have it at any other point. Remember back in the 90s when everybody had a Zippo? I had a Zippo. Uh, yeah, I had a Zippo. I had like three of them. For no good reason. You can always tell when it's a Zippo. You can, when you hear it. Yeah. You just know it's a Zippo. I remember at one point I bought a friend of mine like a, an antique Zippo for his birthday. We were like... 17 years old and i was like here is this you know zippo from the from the 19th century for you and he loved it but still it was hilarious because they, everybody had a zippo they stink your pocket out a little bit that they was do. the thing with them anyway so he's about to torch the cab when he hears a helicopter overhead which gives him pause he runs and hides behind a tree until it passes. And we don't see Tim at all during any of this, but Stephen closes the back door in the cab, so maybe Tim's in there. Later, Stephen's got a cab back to the street. He runs into Tim's mum and Sally. Tim's mum tells him about some of his stuff that she's boxed up. Sally notices that he has blood in his collar. Stephen laughs it off, saying that he cut himself shaving and quickly walks away. Uh-huh. So he gets home, hides the blood in his collar and quickly jumps into the shower without speaking too much to Jenny. Freshly showered, he explains about his shite day and his shite meeting. There's only so many times you can hit someone over the head, he says. Ha 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 ha. Oh, come on. This is lovely. This is. This is not lovely. It's so funny. It's just. This is. It's done to be as kind of cringy as as it comes across. And it's deliberately so. I really enjoyed all this terrible foreshadowing. 
Well, it's not foreshadowing. We just watched it well, and hit him over the you head. Know, you know what I mean? All the, these kind of phrases that, that have the dual meanings, if you right. take it one way or the other, it was, it was right. quite amusing. If you say so. So Jenny announces that she's been thinking about the Thailand move and would prefer to give it a few weeks before they leave to give him time to hand in his notes and do the right thing by Carla, unless they've had a falling out. Stephen doesn't mention the accusations and can't mention them, but says that he wants to leave tomorrow. He thought Jenny wanted that too. She says she does, but she needs more than 24 hours to tie up her loose ends. She'd rather wait a month, and she puts her foot down. Mm -hmm. Stephen can't be too weird about this, so smiles and agrees and goes to make a cuppa and standing at the sink, he starts to quietly cry. Jenny goes off for a bath, and Stephen gets on the phone to his airline to cancel Jenny's ticket. He says he will be flying alone to Bangkok tomorrow. Dum, dum, dum. Meanwhile, at the canal, it's a hive of police activity. Yes. The roof box has been pulled out of the canal. Yes. And Tinker arrives, rushes to see the roof box, takes a peep inside, and looks like he's about to puke his ring. Right. It's hilarious. And as he rushes off, DS Swain arrives, he wanders over, throws Tinker the stinkiest side eye I've yes. ever seen, and then assesses the situation calmly and asks to get forensics down here. We've we got, have got a body. A body. Oh, that was so good. That was great. I loved that. It's it's hilarious that we still don't see a body because, of course, we can't see a body. It looks like it's just filled with water. Mm. But still, it, <laughs> Craig getting almost sick. And I know it's a trope. I know it's a trope. You know, the youngest detective, the one who's never seen a dead body before. Although he has seen a dead body because he saw Leo's body. Mm-hmm. So I guess Teddy's body is grosser. For some reason, probably because it's like all oozy and stuff, whereas Leo's body was dry. Um, well, his body would get the impression as a skeleton. Yes, but we know better. We know better. The way that, that Tinker seemed to push by people to get right. to have a look for himself yes. was hilarious. But as he was doing it, I thought, he's got something in his mouth. I thought Colson Smith's got something in his mouth as uh-huh. he's acting this. Right. So I expected him to throw, throw up. up. Right. But he didn't. He just had a bit of the bulk. Maybe, maybe he did throw maybe up and they they cut c- it out. Yeah, I think maybe they cut it out. Because he Is was walking too- with his mouth shut. Right. And if there's one thing about Colson, or yeah. there's one thing about Craig, doesn't spend a lot of time with his mouth shut. No, it's true. So I thought, there's something weird about this. Mm-hmm. But then the, the scene where he kind of gets the book right. looks like he's going to pass out and rushes away. And Swain just like very calmly and coolly just walks over and says, yep, we got a body. The show's doing a really great thing, a couple of really great things here. It's agreeing with us that Tinker is shite. <laughs> and it's agreeing with us that Swain is awesome. Yes, Yes, it really does feel this week because even when all of the characters say her name, they're like, oh, they got Swain's here. <laughs> yes. yes, it's Swain. We must talk to Swain. Nobody else will do. Right. That's just brilliant. Yeah. I'm so happy. Me too. <laughs> Me too. This, this, this gives the vibe of her sticking around. So at this point, is Tim dead as far as you're concerned? Honestly, did you think that he was dead? I always kind of follow the rule. Of Marvel movies where nobody's dead until you see them die. Well, that's not just Marvel movies. That's that's soap operas as well. Right. Yeah. And we don't we don't see him die. I would assume 
like, because I know science and the human body, that if he's been out this long, even if, even if he's not dead, he's nearly dead, you know, and his brain is probably irrevo- irrevocably damaged. Well, it's time. <laughs> See, uh, but, but, but I also know that soap operas don't give a fuck about science. Right. So, you know, at that point, who knows? I thought it was kind of skimming the line a little bit because I, I absolutely agree. If you don't see them die, then they're not dead. Right. But I thought, did we see them die, though? And we just didn't realize that he was dead. Because mm-hmm. when, uh, when Stephen's having his second go at him right. and we see him, he looks... It looks more than just passed out after right. the kind of strangling or the smothering right, thing that, yeah. that goes on. So I thought, well, maybe we did see him die. Right. He should be dead. Maybe that was him dead. Let's at least say that. He should be dead. But at that point, I thought, he's probably not. We're probably going to see him again unless they're doing a little double bluff with us. So... I was kind of more leaning towards the fact that he maybe wasn't dead. Right, but he should be. But he probably should be. Okay, so on Wednesday then, let's call this Platts Assemble. <laughs> and we start off with another flashback of Michael denying any involvement in anything, a shocked Sarah saying that anyone is capable of anything, Carla claiming to have been trying to protect Jenny, but ending up doing the opposite. So now I'm starting to worry about Jenny. Right, yeah, which we don't need. We don't need that. That's unnecessary because we're already worried about Jenny. I don't know if I'm worried about Jenny at all until, until then. Yeah, I'm always worried about Jenny. No matter what the storyline, I'm worried about Jenny. I'm not sure they're not going to kill off Jenny, but then maybe they are going to kill off Jenny. We were told to expect twists. Oh, they always say that, though. And then, and then the twist f- ends up being a floating gun. And then Jack P. Shepard says that he has a, an awful lot to do in this. Right. So maybe, well, he, maybe he's at risk. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. So Jenny wakes up on Rita's couch claiming to have fallen asleep reading chit chat. Stephen doesn't seem to notice Jenny's agitated state. He's focusing on getting their money exchanged into Thai bat and thinks they should open a joint account today. Gulp, says Jenny. And Jenny says something very, very wise here. Yes. If a financial advisor is telling you that you must do something today, right. maybe you don't do that thing today. Right, yeah. You find a new financial advisor. Yeah. Sally's still pissed off at Tim who has not come home as per her angry message to him. She told him on the left a message with him right. last Don't night. Don't bother coming Don't home. Don't bother coming home then. Tim's mom thinks that Tim will be suffering now. And always remember to tie your shoelaces, kids. Yes. Roy's on the phone to Nina. He holds the phone about a foot away from his head. I know. Head. It's like, how can he hear her? <laughs> He's been walking Freddy and tried to go alongside the canal, but it's closed due to a police investigation, he tells her. He'll be back at the cafe in a second to deal with a customer who wants tartar sauce on a sausage sandwich, the filthy bastard. That is just disgusting. What is wrong with people today? Ugh. It's gross, man. We have to try it now. No, you... Gail, no. Shona and David assemble outside the salon talking about Tim. David claims he probably would have skipped his anniversary for tickets in the box with Tommy Yo too, which puts Shona's nose out of joint and she tells David to suck on her balls as she storms off. And it was David's hilarious. Like, You're like, blaming, I didn't do anything here. Right. Doesn't matter. Yeah, you said that you would have. That's almost worse. Shona on Wednesday was as hilarious as Shona's ever been, I think. Yeah, she's very good. 
Carla, Michael and Sarah, who's dressed like Daphne from Scooby-Doo, are off to an important meeting somewhere. Michael and Sarah are still concerned that Carla is behaving weird. Peter catches Carla before she leaves and reinstates his concerns for her safety. Carla insists on doing as the police advise and tells him to let to go for the time being. Meanwhile, Stephen is packing up a man bag with a photo of Jenny and his Canadian passport, which apparently is a thing. When Jenny comes in, why wouldn't it be a thing? She claims to have found a great deal that they need to take today and asks for her to give him her savings. She's understandably concerned and puts him off. And when he leaves, she begins to cry, realizing that everything Carla warned about him was true. Notably, he doesn't take his man bag with him, which Correct. again was just a little detail that they just let hang there right. in plain sight without yep. drawing too much attention to it. Correct. Gail meets up with Sally to talk about Tim's whereabouts. Sally wouldn't be surprised if he sneaks back home when he knows that she's going to be out at work, which does sound like a Tim thing to do. Absolutely. They spot a hungover Kev who is so hungover. He is. (laughs) And he confirms that Tim didn't go to the match last night at all and his ticket actually went to Kirk. Stephen comes out of Rita's and overhears this, offering his services if there's anything that he can do. Oh my God, the brass neck of that. Oh, so creepy. So very... Very creepy. Back at the cafe, Nina and Roy are looking around photos Brian took at the canal where forensics are out with their white tents. Nina hears Gail, Tim's mum and Sally chat about missing Tim and tell him about the police activity at the canal. In the factory, Stephen is trying to move all the money from the online account but his access code has been denied for some reason so he concocts a story about them running into financial and potentially criminal issues if they don't settle an invoice. So he manages to talk Michael into giving out his code. And Michael doesn't want to do this to start with. Right. But Stephen pretends to be on the phone with Carla. Right. With his phone completely blank, black the whole time. It's like, Michael, do you not see that? (laughs) Do you not see that, Michael? Well, it's enough. You don't hear Carla speaking back to him, which you would do. No. It's a very difficult situation, though, isn't it? Because your boss is asking you to do something wrong. It's like, it's like when we were asked to give, like back in the day, when tech needed to fix your PC mm-hmm. at work and they'd ask for your password, so you just write it down on a piece of post-it for them. Well, you, you kind of have you'd to. You'd never do that. You'd never do that now. They have to find other ways of doing it. You can't give out your password, not even to the tech guys. Yeah. Which you should never do, kids. Never give out your password. <laughs> and don't write it down. Nobody remembers their password anyway. That's why you need a password manager. So if a password manager wants to sponsor the podcast, we've got a little five-second gap that we need to fill. <clears throat> so, so the three sleuths, Sally, Gail, Tim's mum, they head to the canal but don't get any information from the police about a body that's been found and they're advised to go at the police station and report Tim missing. As they leave, though, Gail is able to see a familiar-looking roof box hmm. on the side of the canal. I mean, all roof boxes kind of look the same, don't they? Oh. <laughs> the business meeting is taking place in the Rape Hotel when Carla gets a text notification Classy. letting her know that Michael has withdrawn £250,000 from the factory account, cleaning it out. Completely. Carla makes her excuses and she and Sarah rush off, leaving the client somewhat discombobulated. Right. At the police station, the three women chat loudly about Tim as Swain passes by. She can't give out information about the case either, but she's able to confirm that if someone spoke to Tim yesterday, it's very unlikely that he's the body that they found, which is hilarious. 
Yeah. Back at the factory, Carla is about to throttle Michael within an inch of his life. Who, let's remember, made a shit cup of tea last week too, so his mm-hmm. jacket is already on a sugarly peg. Mm. Carla is fucking furious. Yes. Why did he clear out the account? He explains it was Stephen who did it to avoid the CCJ, and he used his access code, which, as far as Michael was aware, Carla had approved. Carla had not approved. No. Sarah reveals that this is typical fucking Stephen who has ripped Audrey off too. Everyone's shocked as to why have you not told anybody? Right, yeah. This? Carla's like, why have why am I only hearing about this now? Carla gets on the phone to the police, still a raging. Yes. Selling Tim's mum ditch Gale, but hook up with Audrey and tell her about Tim going missing. Stephen comes along and asks Tim's mum for the box that she packed up for her. It sounds like there's a journal Tim. in there that that he wants. Tough tits, says Tim's mum. It'll need to wait. Tim has gone missing and she lets slip about the roof box at the canal. Stephen gets flustered about this but insists on getting the flat key so he can go and get his stuff. And she gives it to him! Why? Why? Well, so... She does not trust him. She does not like him. She already told him to fuck off. It'll have to wait. Why would she just give him the key? And what stuff has he got back at that flat anyway? Well, he's got that box that she said. I guess. Yeah, but what stuff's that? Because he's been out the the flat for, for a she couple said, of weeks now. She said pictures and stuff. Who knows? Yeah. So he gets the key, heads off, and is seen by Peter as Peter comes out of the cafe. As soon as she steps away from the group, Audrey gets a call from Sarah with very urgent information to tell her about uh, the house, which you may recall, Helen, is on Grasmere Drive. Yes. So it's a female PC who turns up at the factory to take their statements and she does her absolute best to ask questions that make Michael sound like a fucking idiot. Yes. It makes Carla even angrier. Right, yes. And they're like, Did they threaten you? No. And remember, threatening means using language which could be interpreted. No, he didn't do that either. And Carla's like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Right. He just pretended that it was okay that he was on the phone with Carla. Right. (laughs) So he fooled me. He fooled me. He bamboozled me. He bamboozled me. Yes. And all of them say, where's Swain? (laughs) She's like, well, she's busy at the time. So just tell me. All the plots assemble at number eight and put all the pieces together about the equity release scheme. Gail is sure to mention that Stephen won't be the first member of the family who's tried to steal from Audrey. And that was hilarious. That was hilarious because... (laughs) Because Nick and David both look at her like... Why are you bringing us into this? <laughs> she, it was so long ago. She mentions missing Tim and the roof box, which reminds David of the roof box that Stephen had and how apparently he'd written his off by driving into a car park. They all check their online accounts to make sure Stephen hasn't ripped them off too. That was hilarious. Gail needs help with the face ID. So funny. So funny. So funny Gail's staring at that phone. And it does remind me, in the morning when I get up uh-huh. and I pick up my phone... Face ID says, oh, checking face ID and then goes, I don't know who you are. It's like, oh my God, how tired am I that I don't look like me? And I'm, I'm going to say it's the glasses, that I don't have my glasses on yet. Right. But I think Face ID knows that you're wearing glasses. Right. And knows to ignore it. But yeah. see in the morning, I might as well have your head on my shoulders. It's like, nah, no idea who you are. What's your passcode? <laughs> Like, I think because it's dark. So like, oh, you cheeky bastard. No, it, sh- it should work in the dark as well. Eh. But yeah, Gail's face getting thrust into this phone. Yeah, that was so funny. funny. Sarah explains how Carla thinks Stephen was drugging over the LSD and Shona is more shocked that he'd do that for free. Yeah, that was funny. 
Gail thinks it's all just a misunderstanding. Notably, Audrey isn't there. Now I'm starting to worry about Audrey. See what this is doing to me. Stephen is at Tim's mum going through her uh, his attache cases looking for anything worth taking, finding a Canadian business award which at today's exchange rate is worth 0.74 American business awards. He's about to leave when Peter appears at the door. Yeah. He wants some satisfaction from Stephen about drugging Carla. Stephen tries to protest, but when Peter threatens to kick his balls through his tonsils, Stephen tells him that he's suffering from psychosis. Peter throws him to the ground and Stephen reaches for his Canadian Business Award and is about to swing it when Audrey wanders in and tells Peter to fuck off, which he duly does. Mm -hmm. Stephen calls Peter a caveman. Audrey asks what that makes Stephen, who after all is stealing from his own mother. Mother. Dum, dum, dum. Oh, she was so good. She was good. She was so good delivering that. Sarah and Gail go to see Jenny looking for Stephen or Audrey and they bring her up to speed about all the thievery and the missing Tim and Audrey. Jenny wonders when she's ever going to catch a fucking break when she gets a call from the cops telling her that the body they found at the canal is dead Ted, Cinco Leo's dad, yep. found in a roof box, and this changes everything. It does. Oh. Back at the flat, Stephen admits to stealing the money and he was going to pay Audrey back, and anyway, he reckons he's owed it for years of abandonment. You're in your 60s for fuck's sake, says Audrey. Yes, she does. He grabs his attache and goes to leave, but Audrey stands in his way. You'll have to push past me, son, she says. Stephen eyes his Canadian Business Award shiftily. Dum, dum, dum. Meanwhile, Sarah, Nick, Gail and David are outside number eight. None of them have been able to find Audrey. The salon hasn't been open at all today. Gail sends Nick to Grasmere Drive and asks David where the roof box went. A conveniently passing Kev reminds everyone how heavy that roof box was. It was full of sewing machines, machines, wasn't it? Supposedly. Carla sends Michael home closes the factory down and starts to weep. Yeah, Pe- send Peter. all those invisible people home. Yeah, it's Roy. Send Roy <laughs> home. He doesn't know how to make knickers. In fact, he's just making matters worse. And he's so <laughs> uncomfortable while trying to do it. Peter arrives and she tells him everything that's happened. Meanwhile, the Platts have sucked Tim's mum back into their trajectory and they learn that Stephen got the keys to her flat. A furious Peter storms by, spitting feathers that he didn't take care of Stephen when he had the chance, before Audrey got in the way. A positive sighting of Audrey gives the Platts something to work with. So in the cafe, Sally's sick of listening to Shona talk about everything Stephen's been up to. Nowadays, everybody want to talk like they got something to say, but nothing comes out when they move their lips. Just a bunch of gibberish. The motherfuckers act like they forgot about Tim, says Sally. Mm-hmm. Roy provides an ear as Sally wishes she'd never left him that nasty message. Again, Roy. Speaking to Sally. Roy and Sally makes more sense than Roy and Sarah. Well, yes, but still, it's like it's like Roy is the only person who on the Roy and Nina are the only people on the street who aren't a Platt or and, Sally and Tim's mom or Kevin. And did Nina come in on Wednesday? Yes, she did. Yes, she did. <clears throat> so, Roy suggests that Sally draws up a list of the places that Tim might be and the people that he might have spoken to. So, Sally takes his uh, order pad and mm-hmm. uses that to make her notes. Right. Leaving Roy going, well, what am I supposed to use now? Right, but Roy gave it to her. Yeah. And then he has to write down a whole order while Shona goes to find Audrey. And he looks back longingly at his pad. That was funny. Yep. So the Platts 
and Peter go to Tim's mum's flat and Peter kicks the door in, but there's no sign of any, anyone. Just the Canadian Business Award on the floor. Broken in with blood on it. Outside, David finally says what they've all been thinking, that Stephen killed Leo and Teddy. And as they chat about the possibilities, Stephen is at the tram station and sneaks into a taxi that drives off going right by them. Right. Stephen takes a moment to uh, deride the taxi driver for turning up late, which again was, was pretty amusing. Yes, which we hear while we're across the street... Yeah. And it's inside of a taxi cab. So the Platts and Peter go to the salon and eventually discover that Audrey is inside, lying low for some reason, claiming that this is all her fault. Carla comes along and is brought up to speed about the suspicions, and Peter is brought up to speed about the theft from the factory. Audrey says this is all down to Stephen's pride and explains that Stephen's left. Peter heads to his cab and decides to go to Manchester Airport. As Peter leaves, Swain arrives. And she goes into the salon just as Audrey is telling everyone to shut the fuck up about Stephen being a murderer. Swain doesn't hang around too long either. She gets a call letting her know that Stephen has tickets for Thailand leaving in an hour. And so she hightails it to Manchester Airport too. But when we next see Stephen, he's at an airport all right. But it's Liverpool, not Manchester. And I thought that was brilliant. The Liverpool John Lennon Airport. I love that. What? What a fantastic bit of misdirection that was. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, just, no, everyone's going to the wrong airport. It was beautifully done. Yeah. Yeah, the timing isn't exactly right. What do you mean? Well, the short amount of time it took him to get to the Liverpool airport, and then later on, the short amount of time it takes him to get back from Manchester back to Liverpool, or back from Liverpool back to Manchester. Seemingly Liverpool Airport's not that far from Manchester. The two airports are like 15 minutes apart. Right. But how far is the Liverpool Airport from Coronation Street in Manchester? Yeah, I don't think it's as far as you think, but it's it's probably... A, Longer than a cup of tea and a piece of quiche. Probably. So, Roy goes round to see Jenny and takes her a bad news quiche. It's broccoli and stilton and see as soon as he said that i thought that oh, sounds lovely I could really go for a broccoli and stilton quiche oh i was so disappointed when i went to the bakery today because typically they have like these mini quiches that i like oh, to get a mini quiche for my for my brilliant. lunch for my lunch on fridays and they were all out and then of course the bolinkas were covered with cinnamon as opposed to glaze and chocolate so you ate it though i ate it, it was it was fine okay. it wasn't as good as the regular but, ones but right yeah, we mini quiche is just so good. Remember, right. uh, aunties in town used to mm-hmm. do mini quiches. Yeah, oh, so good. You have to go early. You just have to go early. Yeah. I like to go a little bit later because it makes it easier to pick mm. what I'm going to get, you know, because mm. I feel I feel very magnanimous saying, I'll take those last two Persians off your hand and the pumpkin scones, sure, throw them in. Oh, it's an excuse to buy more things. <laughs> gotcha. So anyway, Jenny appreciates the kindness and pops the kettle on. She's had a fucking day and a half, and the fact that the last, and in fact, the last couple of years have been pretty shite too. That's true. Stephen is a thief and a swindler, and maybe even worse. Stephen goes to get himself on a flight to Frankfurt, and then a connection to Thailand, and it's all going swimmingly until the sales assistant asks for his passport, but all he has in his possession is his passport cover. Yeah. The passport we last saw taken out back at Jenny's, and we're like, so did Jenny steal this? Because we didn't see it. No. But like I said, 
the bag that he put it in was left in plain sight and he yes. left, so she definitely had the opportunity to do it. Yes, she did. Back at the cafe, Sally has roped Kev in on finding Tim and calling around people. Tim's mom comes in and Sally's just about had enough of her, seeing how little she cares about Tim. Tim's mom explains that she's been with a very distraught Audrey and explains that they all have reason to believe that Stephen is responsible for the deaths of Cinco Leo, Teddy and Rufus Houndstooth. Kev doesn't know who any of these people are, <laughs> but Sally is now very worried because Tim was deliberately putting himself in Stephen's way. What if he's been killed too? And Roy eventually leaves uh, Jenny's and Jenny walks him to the street, thanking him for the quiche and his kindness. And she thinks that she's over the worst of her crappy day. But Roy wanders off and Jenny goes back into Rita's. We see a shadowy shoulder hanging around, watching them. <laughs> you get the idea? Yes. So that's Wednesday's episode. Mm-hmm. Now... If this was a Lord of the Rings, <laughs> and it very nearly was, this was definitely the Two Towers, wasn't it? <laughs> I found this, I mean, I, I really enjoyed... Are the Platts <laughs> the Hobbits? Sure. Because Jack is definitely... He's got hairy feet. Yeah, short sure. enough and has hairy feet. <laughs> this was lots of people... Going from place to place, finding out a little bit more of the story. And then going to another place. And telling somebody else the bits that they've found out right. while they find out what the other person knows. Right. So as we were watching it on Wednesday, it was tricky to follow who knows what right. when. Yes. So there were some little moments where... Like I think when they, they they suddenly decided that Stephen was a murderer, I wasn't sure of all the people who had said the things knew enough of the whole thing to know that that was a possibility. Well, it's David who thinks it first. David is the first one to verbally make a connection with the with the car box. I feel that he's been dying to say that for the whole episode. Yes, but. Remember on Monday, Gail does look at that car box for a long time. She does. So it kind of feels like she might have a niggle too. She just won't say it because this is her brother. Yeah, because when you think of all the players who have some knowledge here. Right. You've got Sally, you've got Tim's mum, you've got Peter, Carla, Michael, Sarah. Even Kevin. David. Who reminds everybody how right. heavy the cargo box was. Kevin shows up. I mean, I think I'm at eight people without really thinking about it too much. There's a, there's, and there's more who all know a little bit about the story. Right. Who are all involved in Wednesday in, in some way or another. Who are all sharing information. If they'd all got together in the middle of the street and talked about what they knew... They would have, they would have figured this whole thing out in half an hour or so. As it turns out, it takes a whole day for them all to, to move about. Right. And I think having Sarah dressed absolutely like Daphne from Scooby Doo did give the plats a bit of a Scooby Doo vibe. And there was quite a few little memes that were popping up on on Twitter, kind of accentuating that fact. That I think right. was quite funny. Was Jack Scrappy Doo? <laughs> And then Nick would be Scooby. 
McShaggy? No, he's too well-dressed. He's Scooby. If Sarah is Daphne, then who's Velma? Gail. Gail? Gail. They've got the same hair. Yeah, Only Only Velma's is pushed back a little bit. But they both have like the poofy... And the polo necks. They've both got the polo necks. That's right. Although Gail's is... Not orange. It's not orange, yeah. But still, no. the style is the same. Nick is ba- Nick is Fred. Because they're both well-dressed. I can see Nick wearing an ascot. Oh, yeah. It was yeah. wearing braces of suspenders, if you prefer. Mm-hmm. I do. In this episode. I thought if Tim was alive, we'd maybe see him after uh, Sally was became worried that he maybe would be a victim too. Right. And the fact that we didn't see him yeah. actually made me think right. he's more likely to be alive now. Really? Because yeah. it's been three days. He has had no food or water. He's been trapped in a trunk with minimal oxygen. Oh, this is all two days. This is Monday was the first day, Wednesday's day two, and Friday's also day two. So the whole thing is told in two days. Really? Mm. So in roughly no, twenty four hours. Yeah. Because because Jenny falls asleep and it's nighttime and then she wakes up and it's another day. She wakes up, yeah, and that's the start of Wednesday's episode. So Monday's on one day, Wednesday's half of a day, and Friday is the other half of the day. Yeah. Still, you can't go without water that long, can you? Yeah, probably. But And also the fact that we don't see him felt too deliberate. But then when we see the shoulder appear Tim was wearing a jacket very much like right, yeah. Stevens as well. So there was a chance that that was going to be Tim. Right. Which would have been a silly way to right. have it Tim come back. It would have been back. dumb. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean... Wait, when is the dog walker? Is that Friday? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we're still to get to that. Okay. Let's jump into that now. <clears throat> so Friday's episode. For the sake of uh, prosperity. Prosperity? For the sake of old Lang Syne, let's call this one Canadian Psycho. Okay. More flashbacks, Peter, Michael, Sarah, all talking about Stephen and what he was capable of. Right, yeah, which is dumb, because we already know what we he's We know what of. you think about that. On Stephen. It's dumb. Stephen sneaks back to the street, managing to avoid the dozy coppers and Michael who are there. Right, yeah, he's just like barely around the corner. From he's the cabin. got to he's be hanging around visible. The cabin. And, like, there are cops walking around and all of them, you know, very, all of their radios are on and all of them are saying, be on the lookout for Stephen Reed. Nobody sees him? No. Nobody looks out their window and says, there he is. He dodges down the gunnel and legs it. Meanwhile, Rita's with Jenny, both hoping Stephen is as far away as possible, but Jenny knows that he hasn't left the country because she took his passport to stop him escaping. And Rita says, why the hell did you do that? Rita says, that was a fucking stupid thing to do, is he'll be back here looking for it. And Jenny's like, oh yeah, I didn't think about that. And number eight, Shona wants to get wired into the booze. Audrey looks like she needs a stiff one. Oh, but not like that. Gail puts the kibosh on that until they've spoken to the cops again. They all think Stephen is out of the country too. But they're all going to stay there tonight to be safe, except Nick, because Nick hates them all. <laughs> Sarah thinks that they've seen the last of Stephen, but already still giving them the benefit of the doubt. Peter's out in his cab and hasn't found Stephen at the airport. He doesn't think Stephen has left the country and hopes that he's still here so he can break his face. Carla just wants Peter to come home. So Sally and Tim's mum are at the cop shop to grass Stephen up for being responsible for Tim's disappearance. 
Swain appears and asks for a quiet word with them both, and I'm like, God, uh -oh. now, now I'm worried about Tim. But in the little interview room, Sally explains that Tim and Stephen's relationship was kind of fraught, and Tim's mum's relationship with Stephen was kind of fraught too, with all the shite with insurance and all that sort of stuff that was right. going on. And they share their suspicions of Stephen's murder spree. Swain reveals that they found Tim's wallet, but no Tim. Sally remembers the blood on Stephen's collar from earlier. What if that blood was Tim's? Dum, dum, dum. Later, Audrey and Sarah are concerned about Audrey. Nope. Later, Nick and Sarah are concerned about Audrey, so Shona goes to keep an eye on her. And privately, Nick, David and Sarah are convinced that Stephen is a murderer, which at least put whatever they've done in the past into perspective. Yes. Peter gets home to find Carla resigned to the fact that the factory is fucked and the insurance isn't going to cover anything because Michael handed the code to Stephen. Right. And then Peter gets a call from a fellow cabbie with a lead. Peter goes to the plants. I love the cabbie network. Yeah. It's it's like the Assassin's Network in um, John Wick. Well, I haven't seen John Wick. Have you? You don't like Keanu Reeves. Since when? You've always said that he's a shit actor. Oh, he's a terrible actor, yeah. He's a nice person, though. I'm sure he is. It's, his mother speaks very highly of him. Yes. Peter goes to tell the plats about his cabbie mate who took Stephen to Liverpool then brought him back to Weatherfield. He's also told the cops. Then Shona gets on the phone to tell Sarah, but Sarah has left her phone at number eight, like you would. Mm -hmm. Sarah. I know, it was ridiculous when like her phone starts to ring under the pillow and I was like, like, oh, I, you've got to be kidding me. I thought we were going to get through a whole week when no one... Accidentally their leaving their phone somewhere that they shouldn't have. Doesn't somebody accidentally leave their phone on silent as well at some point this week? I don't remember that. So Jenny and Rita decamp to Roy's for safety for the next couple of hours. As they pass the rovers, Jenny hears a noise from inside the boarded up pub and she heads off to check around the back. Around the back, Jenny finds the door open. Rita worries that it's Stephen, but Jenny goes in anyway, but comes back out quickly. And then there's a jump scare when Dylan and Mason, that fucking prick, they rush out. I thought that was quite a nice touch because they thought about doing this, was it last week? Right, yeah, it was last week. So them doing this, right. we were told they were going to do it, so yeah. it kind of made sense. Yeah. So Jenny goes back in to see if they've done any damage, plus the plot said that she had to. Right, and Rita says, <laughs> why don't you phone the police? But rather than call the police, she calls Sean to grass up Dylan. Yes, which is good. Yeah. Sally and Tim's mum were back home frantic with worry. Tim's mum is the first person to think of Faye this week, but they decide <laughs> to go Tim hunting again rather than call her. Well, uh, Tim's mum is going to call her, I guess, in the car? Yeah, so she says. Yeah. Adam comes round to number eight. Now it seems Sarah has gone walkabout between picking up Harry and getting home. Back in the pub, the electricity is out. Jenny starts to clear up some of the mess and she, she takes a little drink to toast Johnny. And then there's another sherry. jump scare when Sarah grabs Jenny. She saw the back door open and she and Jenny get wired into a bottle of honking cherry. Sarah learns that Jenny still has Stephen's passport. So again, people are still learning right, things yes. about the story here. Dylan gets home looking for dinner and Sean reveals how Jenny saw him running out of the pub. Dylan initially denies it but then admits it but says it didn't break in because the door was already open. Dum, dum, dum. Dum, dum, dum. That was quite nicely done as well. Yeah. Sarah tells Jenny... About their suspicions that Stephen killed Teddy, and I forgot that Jenny hadn't thought about any of this. And now that she thinks about it, she reckons that he probably killed Sinkhole Leo too. Yeah. And now she's really worried about Rita. Sarah says that's why she came in because she saw Jenny upstairs, but Jenny wasn't upstairs. No. So who was that? Oh dear. So they run out, but Stephen appears and twats Sarah over the head with a bottle. 
but we know she's going to be okay thanks to the flashbacks. Stephen, right? Yeah, and again, this is what the flash forwards aren't great because we know Sarah lives. I'd rather have that tension there. Stephen yells at Jenny to be quiet, sort of pissing all over that demand for silence, but never mind. You made me do this, he yells. Sarah's knocked out, but still breathing. He insists that this is Jenny's fault. And you know what? It kind of is. It's not. (laughs) Now it turns out that there's a street WhatsApp group called Coronation Bleat. That's hilarious. (laughs) Brian, who's the moderator of the group. Because of course he is. (laughs) Has called for a lockdown. Audrey still thinks this is ridiculous. Then there's a fake message from Jenny, but it's really Stephen, because he knows about the coronation. No, it's from it's a fake message from Sarah saying that she's with Jenny in the... No, it can't be from Sarah, because Sarah's phone is still at number eight. It's from Jenny saying that she's in the precinct with Sarah. Stephen wants his passport and knows Jenny knows where it is. Jenny pleads innocence, doesn't know what's going on, and wants to help Sarah. Stephen says he's having a bad day and needs to leave, <laughs> but he needs his passport. If she doesn't say, he'll hurt her. She says that she'll tell him where the passport is if he tells her what happened to Cinco Leo. Where do I fucking start, he says. And then we have our brief little interlude where we go to the woods and we see a walker is out with his dog and they come across Tim's cab in the middle of the fucking woods. Right. And apparently the guy does not think a fucking thing of Right, it. yeah, he just calls his dog back and they keep walking. It's like, did he not see the cab? Does he is he not curious about what his dog was over sniffing? I mean, and whining. I mean, you can only be so interested in what your dog's sniffing on a walk, and after, sooner or later you get bored with it. But this is a taxi cab. It's a taxi cab in the middle of the woods. How how often does this happen? I remember one time when Stella was still in Girl Scouts, we were taking a hike out by McNamara Landing, and and we came across like. A 1957 Chevy convertible in the middle of the woods that had like sunken down into the ground and stuff, and and the light, the light headlights were all busted up, and the interior was all torn up and everything. And even that was kind of eerie, even though it was I had absolutely been out in those woods oh, yeah, for for years and years and years. But like a brand new taxi cab. We had a back when I worked for. Prudential back in, in Stirling, somebody's car was parked in the car park for years. And never and, moved. And never moved. And it started to get grass grown underneath it and stuff. And the windows would condense for some reason and stuff in the winter and what have you. And every time you walked by that, you prepared yourself for a wee fright that something was going to jump up at the window. And it's in a, in a fully lit car park. So seeing something that's abandoned... There's just something about seeing something that's abandoned. That did, did no one ever think to call the police and have it towed? Eventually, but we're talking years later, literally years later. After I left, it was after I left <laughs> that it finally got taken care of. I think somebody might have died, but anyway. Well, one would assume. Well, we thought it just it failed its MOT, so it couldn't be taken out in the road or something. Anyway, so... <clears throat> Stephen explains it was an accident and he just covered it up because Leo accused him of stealing from Audrey. Which he did. The house viewing, says Jenny, as more pieces of the puzzle fall into place of her. Stephen's mouth starts running away from himself and he confesses to everything. The whole setup with Leo's disappearance, how he um, 
got rid of his luggage and stuff mm-hmm. and how he took some photographs. And he confesses uh, how he smashed Teddy's head in with a hole punch, a piece of office stationery. Yes. And how he actually quite enjoyed killing Rufus Houndstooth with his bare hands. She thinks he was going to kill her, but he reacts like this is the most ridiculous suggestion ever. He says he drugged Carla for money. He was going to marry Tim's mum for her money. And he did it because he didn't want to look like a failure again. He was washed up in Milan, but his mum thought he was a success and he wanted her to be proud. In that case, says Jenny, the passport's in my bag. Go before Audrey gets a chance to see you. Yeah, to see the real you. The chat seems to have done Stephen a world of good, though. Just getting that off his chest was <laughs> just know, so therapeutic. Like, oh, I'm so glad I'm able to speak to you. So f- <laughs> this is He has never been creepier than in the scene. Right. He tells Jenny that she was the only genuine thing. And he tells her that he loves her. And maybe, do you know what? Maybe it's not too late for them, murder notwithstanding. <laughs> but then Sean and Dylan and Adam pass the pub outside and Jenny starts screaming. Stephen t- tells her to quieten down and she needs him in the notes. Sean calls the cops and manly Adam with his new haircut rips the boardings off the doors as Sally and Tim's mum arrive. Sean tells Adam about the broken door. Right. <laughs> After he's ripped off. Oh, by the way, the door is wide open in the back. Inside, Stephen grills at Jenny to shut up that no one can stop him. Then back from the near death, Sarah gets up and twats Stephen across the head with a chair just as Adam runs in. So I guess they're getting back together again. Stephen isn't knocked out. And he hauls his 60-something ass up and holds a broken bottle to Jenny's throat. With the rover's door open, Adam and Sarah and Michael walk relatively calmly out, followed by Stephen with Jenny, and he's still holding the bottle to her neck. The whole street is outside. Where's well. Tim? shouts Sally. Stephen orders a curmudgeonly David to fetch his car for a get for, for a getaway. Why does it have to be my car? <laughs> says David. And then there's like an extra walking in the background yes. looking kind of concerned and then like on his phone and then apparently it looks like he's he's videotaping this whole thing <laughs> Jenny blurts out that oh that may be important maybe Jenny blurts out that Stephen killed Leo, Teddy and Rufus and this last one seems to affect Michael particularly yes you used me to steal the money Stephen takes one more opportunity to remind Michael how stupid and useless he is. Give the boy a goldfish, he shouts, she finally twigged. And while we're at it, Carla deserves everything coming to her. Audrey comes along, though, and this kind of shuts Stephen up. What are you doing, my love? says Audrey. <sighs> Meanwhile, in Nina's rolls, Carla's on the phone to Peter, who's still driving around. Rita tells Carla that she's worried about Jenny in the pub, so Carla goes off to see, and this makes Peter set off home. Audrey continues to talk Stephen down outside the pub. Sally says, yeah, before you do anything else, can someone tell me where Tim is, please? Right. But Stephen denies doing anything to Tim as David shows up with his car. Stephen drags Jenny over the car. Audrey warns him not to take Jenny in because once he does that, you know, things are going to get pretty serious that can't get undone here. Jenny reminds Stephen that he wanted Audrey to be proud. Does she look proud now? Stephen looks at his mum, who just looks tired, and he drops the bottle Let's Jenny go just as Peter comes heading round the corner and plows. Regina George is him. <laughs> and plows right through right him, sending him flying like a Canadian goose. <laughs> the street gasps. Oopsie, says Peter. Right. He actually does look quite shocked that right. he's done this. Right, he does. Michael runs to give first aid, but it's no good. Stephen is dead. Audrey's heartbroken. Have you seen Tim? asks Sally, but it's too late. It's too late. 
Later, Stephen gets the obligatory body bag shot as it's zipped up and loaded onto a funeral ambulance. Adam checks on Sarah just as she gets wheeled away to hospital with Michael. Sally and Tim's mum talk to Swain about Tim's still unknown whereabouts. Yes. At number eight, Audrey is sure that Peter murdered Stephen and she tells the police as much, saying that Stephen was just in the muddle and didn't deserve this. David and Shona look at each other and say nothing. And, And Nick, they're all looking at one another saying... She knows he killed three people, right? <laughs> and then we see all the flash forwards again, how no one thought Stephen was capable of any of this, how Sarah didn't think it would come to this, how Carla was trying to protect Jenny, how Peter had to do something to stop Stephen. Talking to Peter in particular, Swain doesn't seem so sure of Peter's story yeah. that he was conducting this rescue mission. Stephen killed three people, he says. How do we know Tim isn't a fourth? And then we finally cut to Tim... He's in the boot of his taxi, stuck in the woods. As he wakes up, starts banging the inside of the boot. And shouting for, for help Stephen. And ignoring the luminous pull cord that's in there. And that brings us on to this week's other hard debate. I really enjoyed this week, but I'm a smidge disappointed that there wasn't another big exit. What do you think? Cake or death? Cake, please. Cake, 53.7%. Death, 46.3%. And that's how we end this week's episodes. Why? Why does this keep happening on this show where there's absolutely no justice? This is not the first time that a serial killer on this show dies rather than goes to jail. And we've also had rapists die before they get to go to jail. You know... People who, you know, steal money or cheat on their taxes. Yeah, those are the people that go to jail. But murderers die. And that infuriates me. ITV Corey went to jail. (sighs) Okay, I will give you that. However, he only killed one person. (laughs) Serial killers die. And I don't like that. I want them to go to jail. I want them to face justice i want them to suffer death is the easy way out yeah i didn't want Stephen to die here it became kind of obvious that he was going to yeah when you see peter driving his car there's only one reason to see peter driving his car right that's because peter's going to drive into Stephen right. later and this is how Stephen gets his long break or what, not Stephen, patrick or no patrick Chris. Take a and third pass at that. Right. That's how SpongeBob gets his break. <laughs> this is how Chris Gascoigne is going to get his break. Mm. Which is good because I know a lot of people were worried he was going to die. I thought there was a good chance that he was going to die. I thought there was a good chance that Tim was going to die. And, and I think he might still. As much as. Even if he does die now, it's not Super Soap Week anymore. So it, it doesn't feel like it belongs as part of the storyline if he. If he if it's to die over the weekend in his in the, the trunk of his his cab. As much as I enjoyed this week, and I enjoyed this week an awful lot. Mm-hmm. I thought this was the best Corey's been this year. I thought it was the best Super Soap Week that we've had yes. for years. Yes, yes. This really was because there no were guns. no guns. No volume no explosions. Walls, no volume walls. No volume walls. No explosions. No guns. Just a little bit of special sound effects. Which were dumb. And the flash forwards. Right. And those were dumb. 
but but the, ma- but the majority of the episodes were really good and very character driven and very focused yep. for the most part on the story. And it's, it's hilarious that, you know, it's glaringly obvious now, but it wasn't, but it wasn't until I read that article about, about Lisa George having COVID because when you think about it, and while we're talking about it, I'm realizing how Roy keeps cropping up, right? Cro- Croppering up, yes, and how empty mm. the factory is, mm. and how we we don't have because typically in a story like this, we'd have like a clutch of factory of knicker people holding their cups of tea and and gossing about yeah. about all of the stuff that's going on, and ooh, did you hear they found another body? You know, sort of thing. And the bistro is pretty empty. And Nick is there, but not Leanne. Mm. And she's not even mentioned. He doesn't say, no, I got to get back to the flat with Leanne. And none of the kids are there. Um, David forgets Harry's name, which was pretty funny. Which was hilarious. Yeah, there were lots of, lots of comedy moments, lots of bits that didn't seem that they were going to have a part to play in the main storyline like the Dylan and Mason thing which eventually did have a part to play right I was a little disappointed that there wasn't something that came from Ken's trains that suddenly became important right I thought if they could have worked that into the main storyline that would have been see pretty cool to do but see I was I was kind of confused because I thought I thought that Peter was aware that Tim had not gone to to the footy i thought peter was there when tim brought the ticket back to no it was just kev Kev, but it was just kev and again we don't see tyrone and abby at all we tyrone and abby are both called on the phone we don't see either one of them and that was kind of weird yeah you can't have everyone in like i guess but it felt like a lot of the plots were there and Wednesday was basically, like I said, Platts Assemble. Right. And that was really good scene. And that was great, because they're the best family. And uh, and yeah, there was just so much about it that I really enjoyed. There was an excitement about it. There was an excitement online about it. People talking about it. There was a real buzz and and just, you know, feeling for the, for the first time. I'm so disappointed that it isn't on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Right. I'm so... Uh, scunnered that we have to wait a day right. till Wednesday and wait another day until Friday. Right. I just well, some of us so do. much wish that they had taken out another major character. The plot and- armor on the major characters is far too strong. Right. It's we lost Cinco Leo, who was in sixty-seven episodes mm-hmm. over a year. Right. So like one in four episodes. Right. We had. Teddy, who was in 21 episodes, so less than 90 between the two of them. Right. Rufus Houndstooth doesn't even have an entry on Corripedia. Really? That's, that's that's shocking to me because... I was a little surprised at that as well. Because he's he's such a larger-than-life character, you'd think he would absolutely be included. So three, no offence to the, to the actors or the characters, three bit part players... And that's all that Stephen takes out, and then he dies himself at the end. I would have much rather Stephen survived yeah. and Tim died. 
right. or Peter died. Or Sarah. Again, with the, the female death, wouldn't have been great. But, well, because... It, uh, but at, at the end, right, it could have yeah. worked. It could have Because worked. we always said, when he takes out a woman, that's it. He's yep. done. So, And he almost takes out a woman, but... So I really, really wish... Because it has left a little bit of a anticlimax to it. Because yeah. that's it. Yeah. That's it over now. Well, you, you ain't killing anybody else. No. But we still need to find Tim. So there's at least that kind of hanging in the balance. I honestly don't think Tim's in any danger now. If they were going to kill him, they were going to kill him in Super Soap Week. Yeah. And it's, it feels like such a missed opportunity. Yeah, they really should have killed him. I would have been sad because oh, Tim, and Sally, Tim and Sally are so fun together. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. It, it really felt like he needed to kill somebody else especially since the cast is so huge now yep there are so many people in the show now it it does feel like it would be nice to kill some of the older characters off just to give more breathing room to some of the people who've been introduced over the past few years you know it feels like it it kind of feels like the u.s senate in there if you know what i mean there are definitely some characters that have served as much as they're going to do dramatically and storyline wise that mm-hmm. that have probably outstayed their welcome a little bit mm-hmm. that are there as kind of parts of the furniture rather than being active contributors to storylines and, and drama and intrigue and stuff. I'm not I wouldn't necessarily say that Tim is one of those characters. No, no, absolutely but, not. But I mean it would would it have been the end of the world, Corey-wise, if, if he died? No. I think they maybe given Sally some incredible scenes right. to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. And then what's next for Sally? What's next in Sally's life? And poor Tim's mum, who's... Right. Who's just reconciled with her son relatively right. recently, losing him so quickly in such tragic circumstances. Right. And who also almost became a victim. Of Stephen. Remember, he was going to kill her. Yep. But then he found out he w- insurance doesn't pay on suicides. Yeah. I mean, there was there were so, so many positive things <laughs> could have come out of poor Tim's death. Mm-hmm. Just a shame they didn't take it. But I, I'm trying not to take too much away from it. I'm trying not to be too negative about it because genuinely and in general, I really enjoyed this week. Right. I thought it was... I thought it was great fun. I thought I really liked the behind the scenes things from the the stuff that you saw that were going on in the the waste ground because I heard uh, Stephen talk in his natural voice. Uh-huh. Todd Boyce, he's got the strangest accent in real life because it's not really American. It's not really English. It's a little Australian, and it seems that he he moved to Australia when he was young before moving to America. So he's got this really odd accent that doesn't really fit in anywhere, but the voice that he's doing as Stephen is acting. That's not his normal voice at all. And yet it's so very Ohio. (laughs) (laughs) Right. He's got the Midwest down. Yeah. To a T. (laughs) Yeah. um, I don't know. I don't know if you thought of it as highly as I did, but 
I really enjoyed it. It was a really, it. really good week. Like I said, the only thing... I mean, there were a little niggles here and there, like that dog walker and stuff, and Tim tying his shoes, and the time it takes to drive I mean, to Liverpool. Yeah, Tim tying his shoes. Were that was the only way Stephen was going to... banana skins or something that he could have slipped on? I right. mean, come on. Maybe some banana shallot skins? Or banana versaries? By the way, banana shallots, they're a cross between a shallot and an onion, and apparently they're very easy to grow. So, there we go. Infotainment. Yes. So yeah, no, I really this is this is perhaps my favorite super soap week. Oh, I think it's mine certainly for the for last, the time that we've been doing the this podcast. show. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, this was the best. It took me to remember what last year's was. Yeah, it was the volume wall. With the volume wall and it was Kelly and, and Addy jumping in front of a bullet. Right. Remember when Addy jumped in front of a bullet? Horror Nation Street was the year before that. It's been two years since the floating. I gun. know. I know. And we go on about it like it was yesterday. <laughs> because it was so very stupid. Oh, well, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens next week. It's, you know, the aftermath of Super Soap Week is historically quite a good week as well as the dust begins to settle and, right. and all that sort of stuff. So and I, the repercussions I'm, and everything. It seems like we're getting a storyline where Audrey has kind of lost it and is in denial. Yeah, we're setting up a bit of a, a feud between the Barlows. Well, the, the Platts the and the Barlows, yeah. yeah. Because, well, and not really all of the Barlows, because I think, or not all of the Platts, because it kind of feels like all the rest of the Platts are like, yeah, Peter did a good thing. Yeah. <laughs> it's only Audrey who who's mad about this. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is like, so it's kind of Audrey against the world here. A little bit. Which concerns me because we've already had Audrey against the world when she was suicidal and... And a drunk who yep. couldn't see to drive. Yep. Um, and didn't she like bump into somebody? Didn't she almost kill someone with her car? I kind of feel like that might have been a thing. Yeah. There was something to do with her car, wasn't <laughs> right. it? Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, and then there's the whole the hunt for Tim, who scientifically should be dead now because he was he was knocked out for over 24 hours. Well, let's see if he comes back after three days. All right. Ah. That was the week that was Coronation Street. Yes. Helen, tell me your moment of the week, please. Oh God, this is this is this is hard because mm-hmm. there were so many great moments. Lots of great moments. I kind of feel like it's Platts assemble, isn't it? Which but like when they're all like around the couch and it's the first time that David verbalizes the fact that Stephen probably killed Teddy. And that was probably his car thing. And then everybody checking their own accounts. Yeah, David accusing Sean of being on Wordle. Right. <laughs> and Gail with the face thing. Yeah. Yeah. God damn it. That is our moment of the week. Platz assemble. Platz assemble. Boring moment of the week. Ken's birthday. Ken's birthday party. Bless his heart. And the stupid train trains, thing. All the trains and the magazine. Oh, how Daniel laughed. <laughs> that is our... Boring moment of the week. So we come to our score for the week. Yes. What are you giving it this week, Helen? I think I'm giving it a nine. I am also giving it a nine. I was thinking nine and a half. I was kind of thinking that too. But, you know, the lack of major character death has taken a little sheen off it. And Stephen dying and the foreshadowing. But 
a nine's a good score. A nine's a great score. Nine is the best score that we've given since we started giving scores. Right. And you know what? Even when we weren't giving scores, I can't really think of very many other weeks that were a nine. Yeah. An excellent, excellent week. Well yes. done to everyone involved. Absolutely. Really enjoyed that. This proves that we can do Super Soap Week without guns. We can do it with, without char- explosions. with characters being themselves. There is more than enough drama from this ensemble to mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mean that we don't need anything exploding. Right. Well done, everybody. Yes. Well, that about wraps it up then. This episode was brought to you with thanks to our friends of the podcast, Daisy, French Ellen, Pickles, DT, Trisha and Wendy. If you've ever if you've ever found a car in the middle of the woods and done nothing about it. Writing to tell us about it. We are the talk of the street at gmail.com and we're at Quarry Podcast on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Threads and Blue Sky. I'm far more active on Instagram now than I ever was. Well, that's good. You can shout me and Helen a coffee or become a friend of the podcast by heading to ko-fi.com. That's ko-fi.com slash the talk of the street. Check out the clicky clicky section of vloggle.co.uk for links to our merch store and YouTube channel. And if you're so inclined, please leave a rating and a review on the iTunes or your podcast provider of choice. And be sure to check out our pop culture sister podcast, The List of Lists. Yes. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. And we will be back next week with more. A talk of the street. A talk of the street. Bye. Cheers.